in Houston. I'm John Herter. Tuesday, September 14th. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a compressed virtual networking accelerator, helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. It's like a TED Talk with interactive discussion. So how does it work? Well, there's a 15-minute expert talk followed by the 20-minute group discussion where you can share questions and feedback verbally or with text in the chat box. So what's in it for you, you ask? Well, the FTE promise. If all goes well, your curiosity sparked, new ideas are accelerating into action, and you may have helped yourself or somebody else solve a problem, make a connection, reach the opportunity faster. We know that making authentic connections and expanding your networks has never been more important to your business and your well-being. Folks, help me welcome guest expert Lisa Wardlaw. So Lisa is a Sorry, I lost my spot there. Lisa is a highly accomplished multinational Fortune 100 strategy and innovation executive with tons of finance, operational, and digital experience transforming businesses, driving profit, growth, and new revenue streams in emerging markets. Lisa recently joined ISI, a space technology startup company, where she'll be leading their global insurance practice. Lisa, so grateful to have you here with us on FTE highlighting a challenge that you're very familiar with and passionate about, unlocking and harnessing the digital potential within a company's organization. So let's get right to it. Set the scene for us, Lisa, would you? Sure, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here with everyone that could take time out of their busy Zoom schedules to attend and uh, support one another. I'm really looking forward to not only sharing, you know, I guess my perspective and the things that I've gone through, but really hearing from you all about similarities, you know, whether or not you faced or encountered um, similar observations. Yeah. So, so I'll set the stage with like the promise, right. And I know, um, I guess I'll kind of drop a mic bomb at the beginning. I am a digital transformation expert. I spent a lot of time <laughs> being, um, I'll call it a kamikaze mission, going against that brick wall, chiseling it out with a plastic spoon. But what the real problem statement that I really want to talk to you all about is that this, um, this mission and this mandate, we kind of think it's all about the digital and the tech and how we get it together and how we solve this really hard problem. And um, in my experience, it is absolutely not rejected because we didn't necessarily have the right solution or a pragmatic solution or an innovative solution. In my experience, it's this intense juxtaposition between the way organizations are actually constructed. So I do not mean change management. And if, if we have any HR colleagues on the phone, I'd love to hear from you all Like as we get to this deep discussion part. But it wasn't like these traditional project management things. It wasn't change management. It was literally, and then I'm just going to pause here because we're going to circle all the way back to it. It was that, and I don't even know how this dawned on me. There was no book about it <laughs> for my authors out there. There was no roadmap about it, but I crashed into this. I called it the linear architecture of org structures, verticals and structures that were created for predictability, for rote, for repeatability, 
um, to create like literally almost intentional silos. And yes, I've worked in more organizations than I should acknowledge. So I've done matrix and hierarchical and all sorts of dotted lines, cross lines. But even then I started like this quest of like, you know, my real problem was, okay, why is the org structure itself creating what I'll call like call the organ digital and like this digital transformation and this digital um, acceptance, we were rejecting it like a foreign object and, and not because yes, people don't make change and, and et cetera. So really what I want to talk to you all about today is um, how I had to tackle digital transformation, literally not just the tech, not just the solution, not just to create outcomes, not ideas. And my, my good friend Greg is on as well as like quoting his book, but like how to really, how do I tackle it when the very foundation of what I operate in, because until Monday I was in corporate America and now I'm in the startup world, the very foundation of the organization wasn't set up and it's still not set up to actually support the digital revolution. So like, if you really go back in time, it's like this evolution that hasn't occurred. We've evolved everything other than our, in, in my mind, our work structure. So um, that's the promise you'll, you'll hear today during the show. The um, detailed problem underneath that is that um, this muscle memory is so strong, right? So even when we, we use words like collaborate or cross-functional, it, it like pulls you back and, and you think of like, well, okay, I'm in charge of X and, and I happen to be fortunate in my role in that um, I had two very strong functional areas reporting to me. So I was an executive and I had all of operations and all of finance, which, which I would say is actually maybe a, a rarity. In, in digital transformation. And in addition to that, I had digital transformation. So I had a very clear mandate. I had a pretty wide span of control. And I went after this to say, okay, great. You know, like I'll, I'll own what I need to change. So ops, finance, and digital transformation kind of bundled into one. And what, what I found was when I was like, how do I hire for the ops function, but create employees who like want to be engaged and not work in these traditional paths. So one was just, how do I get like the simple process of recruiting, right? Now I'm recruiting in a, in a web concept in a much more um, ambiguous, like, uh, like I tried to eliminate job descriptions and like um, hierarchical, like I tried to create um, pod or pulling concepts of resources so like that people didn't actually belong to a person so like to eliminate that vertical like three to one kind of relationship that we're all kind of like tried and true that we grow up with um so when I started doing this and and we could talk a little bit about like I was like how do I break down the hierarchical slant how do I get on planes and go to them again I, I was coming from the world of insurance so I was trying to look much more <laughs> like a valley girl than an insurance person. So like started there, right? But it was really to break down the hierarchy, to break down these verticals, to start to penetrate through all these different layers. And so I, I was successful. I did build a transformation team of 20 people that, that you know, use this kind of web 
capabilities concept. We can talk about ice and tools that we're doing like AI indexing using industrial psychology underneath it. How do I look for the right competencies? Happy to, if you're interested in any of that, I'm not here to sell what I use because it was like a third party tool, but I was trying to get underneath the layer. But then the bigger problem became they felt like outsiders on the inside because, you know, they actually didn't have the benefit of being a lab or an innovation team or, you know, they were business transformation, but their jobs were to transform our as is business model that had PL owners that had verticals and silos, et cetera. And so even though I'd created this, like in, in essence, this ambiguous non-linear org structure, um, they were kind of coalescing with the rest of the organization, right? Which is linear, which is root, which is, you know, rigid, if you want to think about it like that. So I guess if I, I and I want to be sensitive to time, if I kind of highlight the solution at the time that I started deploying, and I, I'm in no way, shape or form, I'm, I've met my journey here. Like I'm still on a journey to unlock this like holy grail of what do we really do? How do we really create new work structures? Um, so I changed the hiring process. I eliminated all hierarchy. And again, this might seem a little, um, it, it wasn't flagrant in any way, but I, I, I made HR not a first or a continued point of contact. So not a traditional recruiter point of contact. It was generally me um, because I was really trying to change the dynamic of who we are, how we do business and how we engage with talent. So again, eliminating that perception of an essence of process and of hierarchies. Um, I did also start to look at competency, um, AI, digital things. So um, apps. And um, so I was like, you absolutely can't send somebody to do a 30 minute online thing. Like, how can they do it in an app? How can they get value out of the score? So really tried to think of the value proposition for the candidate as well as ourselves. And then also I started um, learning about things underneath that with my team, which is like, as an example, most people value collaboration. You know, it's like one of the most used words. Right. Well, if you're trying to really transform and kind of rip out the guts of an organization and do things differently, you actually have to have a high tolerance for not necessarily being liked or not necessarily winning people over. Like you need to be able to be firm sometimes and in a way that, okay, yes, it's professional, but that kind of has a different connotation than collaboration. And so I started sifting through, um, my as is team members, some of my allies, like through these tests that people were like willing to do, because it was like cool, it was like an app, it was gamified, it was actually super affordable too, side boomed. Um, and so I was able to implement it, but I was able to kind of get these um, data points that allowed me to actually see like, oh, you know, I was always thinking that person was so great because they could document a process. But they might have been like one of like, even like within my own team, they may have been one of the blockers to like, uh, I'll call it sustainable, like ambiguity, right? Like how do we get to that part where ambiguity is okay and comfortable where we don't need certainty? And then I guess one other solution, <laughs> this was a little um, more, uh, I guess, difficult. And um, the organization was rolling out these things called role mandates. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I think 
it was either Bain or Boston Consulting Group. And again, no, no disrespect. It's like been a heralded beacon of we all need clarity to make quick decisions, racing matrices, et cetera. And so I, I had to get rid of that for my organization. But then the, the other thing I had to do was get my peers and my stakeholders to interact with us without that clarity of roles and decisions. And, and most importantly, without that fear of threat, right? Because a lot of people feel that the transformation teams or the innovation teams or whatever, you know, they're like the pet project stealing, you know, getting all the heavily guarded money that, you know, most of us can't get a new Excel like update installed on our laptop. And so who are these people that get to come in with the, you know, the Ferraris and stuff. So I had to be conscientious of all those things. So I guess when I boil it all down and, um, you know, would love to kind of talk about this as part of our discussion group, I really came back to these key takeaways, right? So the first one will seem obvious, but I really want to put like an exclamation point by it because like we all say you've got to be all in, you've got to own your initiative, you got to drive it, et cetera. But all in means that you're willing to jump off that cliff. Like you're willing to take the risk that other people aren't willing to take. And you're willing to, in essence, like kind of form the, the front line, the battle, so that the organization, when it comes at you, um, you've got to be the one standing there. You cannot expect that to be your people. And you certainly can't expect it to be like, you know, honestly, like a function that you're like, hey, <laughs> like go do this, right? Like, like my HR partners were great partners, but I took the risk of what we were doing, right? Like I had to like really lean in on that. My second key takeaway is you cannot, it's not like the go it alone, but you need philosophical alignment with your allies. Not just like, yes, I'm your ally and we agree to shake hands and be collaborative because this is a mandate because you're trying to ultimately change the work structure that's linear. And you need an ally that doesn't mind cross-pollination of teams and that doesn't that is okay with subjectivity that is okay with rotational concepts so I really had to and and by the way like most of my allies couldn't get there on a total non-linear org structure so I had to start really small like what if we did like a two-week rotation once a quarter like whatever that means right so so we really had to start there um that's on the ally and then you know I would say on the on the like the third thing is like, you're going to experience this incredible, relentless muscle mem of the organization. The, not just against change. And that, that was the magic for me. I kept thinking it was change management. The ROIs, the KPIs, the way that most people are rewarded will reject, the, the organization is actually constructed to reject this type of transformation. And it's not just because of you know, who we are as humans, that we don't like doing new things, but the, the way the organization is actually set up is that the very muscle mem of the organization is going to say no. And then you're sitting over here saying, but this is my mandate, like I have to do this, right? Like this is what not only I'm called upon doing, this is what's gonna fuel us into like, you know, even if you care about like, money, stock options, you know, like all the things you're supposed to like fiduciarily do when you're an officer of the company. These are the things that are going to fuel us forward. And then I guess my, my last takeaway would be that, you know, I, I have not actually seen like 
an org structure of the future. And so my, my big call to action and the reason why I was like honored to be part of this talk today and the reason why I'm so ecstatic that you all have taken time out of your busy schedules to join is what does the org structure of the digital revolution need to look like, right? Because I think we've all got, you know, PowerPoint can give us a lot of pre-drop down selections and we can go from hierarchical to matrix and all these things. But how do we really operate in this new world where, you know, things are no longer verticals and they're more what I call like, um, you know, more latitudinal, less longitudinal. And then of course, I think I'll just kind of like wrap on this. We're in a world where never has it been more important for diversity, equity, inclusion of ideas, not, not just people, background, et cetera, but, but of the entirety of it. And so if you think about creating inclusion, it is really to ensure that we all have this basis to lift up. All ideas can like permeate. And that, and that by the way, none of us are precluded from taking something forward. It's not your technical training. It's not your title. It's not your background. It's like, how do we really kind of, you know, spin something up and make it real? And so I think not only is the call to action on like, what is the org structure of the future need to look like? It should also connect to, you know, like our education, our business classes, you know, like how do we actually do this in a way that gives us as leaders some sense of, um, I'll say protection, right? Because being a nonconformist and saying things like these in an organization, they look at you like you're you're crazy. And so, so anyway, with that, um, I I definitely look forward to the discussion. And John, I'll turn it back to you. I haven't been looking at the chat, but I'll start to pop over. Yeah, that's okay. Cool. Thanks a lot, Lisa. So, hey, folks, today's show is brought to you by our underwriters. Ari on the full service project engineering and design firm, respected, trusted, highly valued by selecting energy industry clients. Unique Ventures, the energy hybrid technology accelerator with a unique approach to venture capital. Porter Hedges, attorneys at law, the informed choice for complicated litigation in the energy business. Interpoint, protecting what you care about most, people, profits, brands, clients, benefits group, building retirement plans for your business that work. From the experts is excited to announce new partnerships with the Canon and Ecosystems 2030. We're collaborating to bring our strengths into unique combinations that enhance your experience. More to come soon. Okay, Lisa, let's go ahead and open this floor and get some of the feedback from the group. Uh, what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna turn the poll question on. Actually, Gus, you'll have to turn the, the poll on for everybody. And uh, if you would also kindly drop our general question to get things rolling. So as you answer the question, folks, feel free to step up to the mic, uh, drop your questions and any feedback that you've got into the chat. Uh, and if I call on you, you're welcome to also say pass and move right along. So keep it brief and introduce yourself with your name and company. So here's the question. What organizations would you say have actually transformed themselves into this model, a digital leader? And why, why do you think so? So with that, what I'd like to do is, uh, Bushan, are you still with us here? Uh, would you mind sharing kind of your reflection on that for us? Get us started. Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm Bushan Sethi. Um, I had the pleasure of Lisa being my client and some of those stories, and I'm glad I didn't get name dropped as one of those firms <laughs> that mandate. Um, but some quick reflections. So when Lisa was describing this, um, we could have replaced the word org structure 
with culture. We could have replaced it with kind of decision-making processes. And the reason I share that is in our experience, and when I think about firms that do this well, it's not just one thing. It's about the structure, but it's also about how you make decisions. It's about the people and their comfort with ambiguity. So it gets into things like culture and behaviors. Um, someone put something around kind of senior executives and their incentives. It's absolutely around things like incentives. So for, even for firms, like when I think about PwC, we've, got a, we've done a really good job of digitizing our business and creating digital products. And so we're, we're there, but we're not, we're not like a tech firm. We, we talk about being a tech firm, but we are not like a tech firm. And then the question about innovation and digital transformation, I'd still think firms like mine still have a long way to go around the pure innovation, not because of the structure, but probably because of the I guess that would, there you go. Yeah, I, I just dropped out. Sorry, I was just going to say, and on the innovation agenda, I'm not sure. I'm in the office, and it's ironic that I'm, my my, uh, my wireless drops out in the office. On the innovation agenda, firms like mine still have ways to go, not necessarily because of structure, but because of culture and risk tolerance and incentives um, and kind of just learned habits of, of big, successful firms. So um, I think everything's spot on. I just think that structure is kind of one element within that, and different firms have different kind of levers they pull. Any particular model out there that you think is uh, on the edge, front edge of this? If you would have asked me 15 years ago, uh, 10 years ago, I would have said that model where you incubate it somewhere, like one of the insurance companies I work with did actually incubate it somewhere, hire really good people from the valley to go build it there. And that will, and, and you, you have the right management oversight. But I've seen flaws in that model because it's the whole not invented here syndrome and it's a bunch of brainiacs who don't really understand the rhythm of the business so i think that i know this sounds like a consulting answer there are many models that work but you've got to have the right people and the right culture and the right experimentation and the right leadership like you've got to have the right candid conversations and you've got to be instructive sometimes sometimes you have to be super inclusive and you've got to pick those 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 battles thanks for that uh greg larkin introduce yourself do you have any Comments on this? Uh, hi, I'm Greg Larkin. I wrote the book, This Might Get Me Fired. And I um, used to be the global head of new products at Bloomberg. Um, and have advised PwC amongst Google and Uber and many other companies ever since. Uh, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts on the matter. Um, I guess the, the um, yeah, I don't think there's a single right model. And I, I think there's a debate over the right level of autonomy um, for innovation. Um, and when it's over autonomous, it, it, it actually becomes a decoy very often. And it actually becomes, and it makes digital transformation that much harder. The, the um, some of the infrastructure that gets built in the part of the business that's launching new ventures that could be useful for modernizing or turning around legacy businesses. That conversation never happens. And some of the scaffolding in the legacy business that can be used to um, 
bring new ventures to scale faster never gets deployed. So I, I think there was a time when autonomy became sort of an orthodox, like well, Clay Christian said that's how it Clay Christensen said that's how it works. So that's how it works. And 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 I think it's it's very few examples of autonomy working. So um, one of the things that comes to my mind is have you have you uh, you have to have senior management and the board incentivized, right? How do you how do you help this change the team that's going to change when you're advising the leadership teams versus the transformation team? What's going on there? Um, so I, I, I have a very simple rule of thumb, which is pretend Carl Icahn just took over your company. And it works every time because as much as we might want to say, um, well, that's not the model I like. And BCG has one set of standards and, and, and Bain is another and PwC another. At the end of the day, every 90 days, your executive leadership team has to stand in front of a, of a, of a bunch of investors and justify how they've spent investors' money. And within that rubric, within everything starts there. Every argument ends there. Every mandate either is deflated or has wind in its sails because of what happens in those meetings every 90 days, like it or not, fair or unfair. Um, and so within that, it's the rule of 20, which is you have to be able to put points on the board from 20x returns on new ventures and 20% turnarounds of legacy businesses. If you can't figure out how everything you're investing in, every dollar you spend ladders up into 20x or 20%, um, you will never be able to overcome the intricate defense of obstructionism that exists inside of every company, from Google to Golden Corral. So, so Greg, quick question. Is there, a, is there a particular model or a company that's kind of doing this right that you've worked with or that you've, you admire? I don't know that it's a model, you know, um, is, is the emergence of AWS as, you know, kind of a side project, which was not autonomous. Is that model, is that modelable for other organizations? I'm not sure, you know, is the emergence of, 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 of Alphabet X within Google an emulatable model? I don't know. I've seen it backfire. You can, you know, it's like, it's kind of a crummy metaphor, but like, on some fundamental level, both North Korea and Sweden can both trace the inspiration of their economy to the works of Karl Marx. Right. Um, that doesn't make that, like, you right. know, I, I, don't, I don't know. You can look at like the disaster that GE has become and you can also look at the miracle of Google and trace it back to the innovator's dilemma. Right. You know, and, and so I think being overly dogmatic about the model and under, under um, represents the importance of putting those 20, the rule of 20 on the board. The outcome is the model and right. the ability to shift and adapt the model when it's not delivering 20, the rule of 20 results is, is much more important than settling on a model before you start. And, and I think having that kind of test and learn and the ability to have really excellent investment capabilities where you're not walking around with a bunch of zombie ventures that should have been 
disinvested, you know, where capital should have been pulled out and reallocated to something that's winning, or a bunch of digital transformations and legacy businesses that, that have had massive amounts of capital, but also massive amounts of invalidation. And mm -hmm. the model is so rigid that you can't reallocate capital and re redefine strategy. Um, you know, I, I think the, the model has to be outcome centric. And, and in particular, it has to be, can you defend this uh, uh, in, in front of Carl Icahn? Nice, I like that. So let's open it up. Anybody else uh, have something to share on this or something related that Lisa said, any questions? John? Yeah, hey, Robert. Hey, this is Robert Applebaum. I'm with IBML. You know, I, I go back years ago on a project I was on, on an SAP COE Center of Excellence. And in my IT career of over 30 years, it's the only time I've been on a project. Now, you know, those, those had their challenges getting them implemented. But as an organization with the CEO and CIO behind us, and having the business units all coming to the table with the technologists who are a part of the project, and that included DBAs, application, the programmers. It's really the only time in my career where I've seen an organization have the, um, the focus, the desire, and also behind it, obviously from the executive level, the budget, because their eyes were on it for profitability and where the company was heading at the time. And it's the only time I've seen that really work. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that, by the way, SAP, I'm not promoting it. I'm, on, I'm with a company, haven't used SAP now in 20 years. But it's the only time in my career where I have worked, I've worked in hospitals, insurance companies, uh, retail. It's the only time I've seen a group of people come together from HR, finance, all the different groups and technology and executive sponsors where everybody could sit in the room and everybody could hear everybody and the impact, whether it really impacted them, that change or what was going on. But the fact was at least there was unity and everybody was hearing the same thing at the same time. And I think a lot of organizations have a hard time just flat out with communication that areas seem to be left behind or they weren't in the know, they didn't know this was gonna happen. I didn't know this was how my job was gonna change. And if I was starting a project myself, I mean, in my career, that would be the one thing I would use parts of that mm. as a way to try to get something off the ground that would have better chance of success than the way the majority of the way projects are done today with digital transformation, especially when it deals across functional areas as it does today. Interesting. Feedback? Any Robert. Well, I think Robert's right on cross-functional. Um, if you, you know, looking at solutions and you're only looking at silo solutions versus if they can go across, the, you know, all the departments and how it's going to impact them. Because if an organization is, like Lisa was saying, it's just worried about their little vertical silos, then uh, you will not get a product that will continue to grow within your organization. So cross-functional allows you to grow a solution like SAP, you added all the modules. So it was a, you know, you start small, you, you know, crawl, and then you're able to bring all these other, you know, especially in oil and gas where, you know, it's years of organization. You're not going to go in, Lisa, I don't care how big you are, 
and I'm a pretty big guy and I'm pretty vocal. Uh, you're not going to, it's hard to change that organization. It's like a, that, you know, you know, 800 pound gorilla, you got to chip away, but cross-functional Robert, I, I've seen it. And I think that's how, when they see the value, they see the opportunity to help that organization, then you can, you can break down some barriers. Question about that, you know, guys, so times were different, Robert, a little bit, you know, this idea of uh, smartphones and multitasking and, oh, the eight second, uh, you know, attention span, right? So I wonder if that's some of it too, kind of protecting and, and going after the outcomes and being able to do that. I don't know. Anybody else have any uh, questions or comments based on uh, the conversation or something that you'd like to, to ask Lisa about in her experience? I just lost that eight seconds. That's sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> right. Case in point. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Henny here. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I used to work in the energy industry until October last year. Since then, I've, uh, I'm doing my own thing, basically working with startups, entrepreneurs, mostly in the digital area. But my last job with Shell uh, was two things. Uh, digitalization lead for our deep water business. And also I was working with an innovation program called Game Changer, which started like 20 years ago. And the whole point of it was bringing Silicon Valley inside of a corporation. So it was created uh, by Gary Hamill and a couple of others uh, uh, from Ideo Labs uh, with the intent that, you know, how can you uh, incubate innovation in an organization still you know, keep your pulse on the business needs and at the same time be sufficiently removed from the core. Anyway, uh, what uh, I wanted to comment on is that um, I really think that digital transformation is one of those things which is like the North Star, okay? It's one of those things you will always aspire to but never get to. And then the way at least I define it is there a spectrum and when a lot of companies are talking about digital transformation, all they're really doing is digitizing existing processes, okay? And so really that spectrum has to do with how much you're willing to reimagine how you interact with internally, externally, with your vendors, with your suppliers, as well as with your customers. Because digital transformation, ultimately, what the big promise, let's say, of the trillions of dollars to be of value to be created is if you're able to fundamentally change your business, not just make it more efficient, you know, do the same thing you're doing now, faster, cheaper, better. That's all great, but that's not, doesn't fundamentally shift things. Now the, the dilemma with uh, digital transformation is that both at once companies must, uh, and I think several people have talked about that. You must be able to, uh, you know, uh, think big in terms of systems, and think forward in terms of reimagining the future. And at the same time, on the ground, you have to be delivering tangible outcomes. And that's a dilemma, right? It's difficult. And it requires both, uh, you know, standardizing and automating and optimizing your processes, as well as, you know, prophesizing, if you like, you know, forecast, you know, what could happen in, in, in the future if you were to change something fundamentally. 
and then figure out new ways to monetize your value chains by removing barriers, removing friction between your supply and demand, for example. And then importantly, for a big corporation, you need to customize. So you, you have to, you know, customer centricity is at the core of digital transformation. And it's a very difficult thing to do for big corporations because on the one hand, you want to standardize things to the point where you dumb it down and you just repeat it or so-called scale it. At the same time, it needs to be so intricately linked to each nuance, to each application, to each customer. And that's a difficult thing to do. And only a handful of companies have really managed to do that. You know, think Amazon, they basically created a digital twin of you, right? So they can sell you all the things that you want, not that everybody in the world wants. And uh, it's just a difficult thing to do. The digital transformation is hard. 80% of the digital transformation efforts fail for many of the reasons that have already been talked about. And because it, it needs all axes firing together, the process axis, the technology axis, the people axis, and as somebody mentioned, the culture, which is kind of the environment in which all of these processes, technologies, and people interact, all of that has to change, including the org chart ultimately. Uh, but it's tough. Uh, it's not never going to be easy. Thanks, Hans. That's what I wanted to share, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm glad you could join us today. Uh, comments? Can I throw in my two cents here, uh, John? Um, I think just relating to what was said before, completely agree that this needs to be an all-in change, as Lisa said. Um, it has to be a cross-functional effort. But what I think is also extremely important that it, it needs to start at the top. It needs to come from the top and it needs to loop back to the top because unless there is a full alignment and a full understanding of why this solution is fit for purpose for this organization, then we will go back to the silos and we will go back to even different organizations understanding what digital means for their silos. Um, and that, of course, is counterproductive because everybody, every organization can throw in tons of money for their own solutions that ultimately don't jive well with each other. Um, I think the biggest two dangers for um, these transformations would be to have piecemeal transformations um, in organizational silos, because ultimately those solutions will not work with one another. Um, and then um, ultimately the second one is endless experimentation with organizational models which also happens if there is no alignment at the top. Because coming from a large organization as well, I can tell you that a big organizational change um, is extremely disruptive and it can throw back your digital, digitalization efforts. Um, it can throw back all the efforts and make you start from the beginning. A lot of companies are experimenting now, uh, which is reasonable, but I think this could be improved quite a bit by alignment from the beginning and understanding of the basic terms and where you want to be when this digital transformation is done. I, I agree, but I believe a lot of times this is where it fails because you get a top a leader who you have to then provide that big picture and they have a, they invest a lot of money. They'll have to, and they want to go into the PWCs or and, and, and then it gets to be that 800 pound, I'm gonna go back to the gorilla. Now you got this big gorilla. And if you start failing, nobody wants to talk to the leader to say, hey, we went the wrong direction with this software. It really is not what we were sold. And we got to back up and we need, so chipping at it with the leader, I agree with the big leader, but how we present it to the leader and, and roll it out is really critical. Thanks, Wade. Thanks, Natalia. So Lisa, 
last word from you. I was just going to say thank you to everyone. Amazing dialogue, discussion, and humbled and honored by the expertise around the, the, the call today. But I guess the one thing that I was going to like end on, like the kind of consistent theme I keep hearing, right, is we need people who are thinkers. Mm. We need to raise, train, employ, reward, promote, engage with people who are not afraid to think and, and fundamentally across everything we've been talking about right it's it's the problem solving aspect of all this and i i do agree Basan, like it's probably just not the work structure but it's the thinking and we need to embed which which is just fascinatingly right the industrial revolution and i, don't, I know none of us want to think for the past x number of decades we, we've been trained to be rote but in essence we have right and so the digital era has so much capability almost like at our fingertips that now that thinking layer needs to that muscle needs to really be you know if you will flexed so that we can like build that muscle again so that's like the one um key thing i keep coming back to and again honored by all the perspectives today so thank you john for having me appreciate it last word so folks how was the talk and discussion today the FTE post show notes will hit your email soon. Please take that five question survey to get the list of all the folks that joined the call today. Uh, you'll also find links from, from the expert website, uh, our YouTube channels, our podcasts. So please help yourself to those. If it was a good experience today, please share FTE with others that you want to network with. Forward our newsletters, follow us on LinkedIn, and invite your connections to join the conversation at our events. Do you or somebody you know want to be a guest expert just like Lisa? Share that current challenge, get feedback on what you're working on with the network. Hey, or maybe you or your firm want to build virtual presence and community with FTE in a unique way that will showcase your thought leadership. Call us. Next on FTE, October 19th, PwC partner Liz Swigert shares her experience on fostering wellness and mental health for employee productivity. November 16th, Future of Technology miniseries begins with leveraging virtual reality technology into immersive experience solutions led by Adipad Virdi, creative product lead for Facebook virtual reality. So sign up right now on our website, fte.network, or just hit the green button on one of our newsletters. Folks, we're out of time. Thanks once again, Lisa. And to all of you for making FTE Tuesdays the smartest 45 minutes in your day. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.